Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. Melinda's off today and tomorrow. Kenny Romeyer is here both days. Hi, Mark. She must know the right guy to talk to around here. <laughs> Get a couple of days off, huh? She has the right connections, Absolutely, doesn't she? Absolutely, yeah. Tiger's here producing. Thank you for joining us. We hope you're having an excellent afternoon. It's 4.03. You heard in the news update, President Biden is coming to Texas Thursday to Brownsville to visit with Border Patrol agents. Former President Trump will be in Eagle Pass on Thursday as well. Jeff is calling in from Pflugerville at 4.04. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm fine, gentlemen. How are you all this afternoon? Very well, Jeff. Thank you. I have and with respect to the uh, the numbers, the approval for the the border wall that you you read a moment ago, I wondered what has changed. I mean, really, everything's exactly the same. You could probably make an argument that there's more people storming the border, but I, I kind of think I wonder why why the support has grown so much and and. I, and with, I think it's it's uh, Governor Abbott is probably fairly responsible for that for that blip in the uh, support for the wall with the migrants being sent to the sanctuary cities and it making it a big country countrywide problem. What do you guys think? I, I think it's a key factor. I agree with you, Jeff. Uh, Biden's open border policy started on his first day in office, so we've been enduring this for three years now. Uh, we could have seen that increase earlier in this saga, but it directly coincides with Abbott sending illegal aliens to blue cities. And now they're moaning and wailing and pitching a fit about all of this. <laughs> and that's I think so. I agree. I think uh, Governor Abbott surely was a, a catalyst. But the stories in the big cities, New York City, Denver, Chicago, where the cities are, are ripping at the seams with their social welfare budgets. They can't handle it anymore. The, the local media, the national media, they had to cover those stories. They couldn't ignore them. And so yes. the problem began to propagate in that way, get more attention. And then it wasn't just Abbott. There was uh, the governor in Florida who was trying to chip in a little bit in that. But I do give uh, Abbott credit for kind of putting this on the radar screen. Yeah. Good job, Governor Abbott. Well, sadly, I mean, yes and no. Sadly, yeah, it's he had a terrible to do... Problem. He had to do what the federal government wouldn't do. Yes, sir. And 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 really, he's not done what they what they haven't done. He's just shared the misery of it all, and and still the problem remains unsolved. But but uh, I think it's uh, pretty as far as political gamesmanship goes. That was uh, well done. Good job, Texas. Jeff, here's a story out of El Paso that we just got. The border patrol says. An underaged American girl 
was caught trying to smuggle over a pound of fentanyl over the border into El Paso. She was arriving from Mexico through the pedestrian lanes at the Paso del Norte Bridge when she was uh, searched by the Border Patrol and they found a pound and a half of fentanyl on this girl. They say wow. she's younger than 17. And so that's one of the things as, as uh, former President Trump's down on the border. We talked right before the news break, Mark, what's he going to say? He absolutely ought to be pointing out a story like this and saying, ladies and gentlemen, the cartels are winning. This young girl is just a pawn for the cartels, mm-hmm. and who knows, countless numbers more like her that are yeah, involved in this kind of caught. stuff. Exactly. Yes, sir. I think the border, um, if I understand Trump correctly, I uh, if, if he's meaning actually close the border and pause immigration, I'm for that 100%. We, we've done that several times in our country's history to uh, tailor immigration needs for certain types of people from different areas around the world. And I think this is absolutely another time when that would be perfectly appropriate to just shut it all down and, and get a handle on this. But it would be nice to see Congress actually write some laws that prevent presidents from either party from, from playing games with this. This is, this is absolutely ridiculous. But I, I'm finally glad to hear someone else, other states, you know, realizing what problems we've had here in Texas with, we have 70% of the southern border is Texas. So it's, uh, it's, it's finally nice to hear somebody complaining about what we've been living with forever. Thank you, Jeff. Have a good afternoon. 512-836-0590. In this case of the underage girl being caught with the fentanyl, the Border Patrol says that same day they also caught a 31-year-old U.S. citizen, a man, bringing fentanyl in, and they caught a 40-year-old U.S. citizen woman who had fentanyl hid in her body parts, and Mm. they say that a drug-sniffing dog alerted officers to her. Just one aspect of this catastrophe that's been unleashed by the Biden policies. Tracy is calling from Waco on KLBJ. Hello, Tracy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine, Tracy. Welcome. I want to comment about the border wall. Um, Everybody's talking about, like, building a wall and all this stuff that costs money. All we have to do is turn off the magnet. Don't give them anything. No school, no food, no phone, no hotel rooms, no money for rent, not a Band-Aid, not a pair of shoes, not a sandwich, no money sent back through Western Union to Mexico or whatever country you come from. Give them nothing, they won't come. Opposite of you build it, they'll come. Give them nothing, and they won't come. Well, you're Nobody right. Talks about that. You're right, and sadly, that we're doing just the opposite. The, the mayor in New York City, for example, is handing out debit cards, right, for the illegals to, to have at their disposal. I mean, this is just, it's just one example of whether it's sanctuary states, sanctuary cities, of the government. And I know what you're suggesting, Tracy, just know so many people say, well, that's draconian. We just can't do that. And yet, if you keep rolling out the red carpet, surely they're going to try to get here. And they have been for the last three years. And now we're sadly seeing the disastrous results of that. I don't see why they would consider it draconian. We can't go to another country and them do that same thing that we do for us. No other country does this. 
we're the only country that does this. So everybody else is draconian because they're the ones, they don't give anything. We can't go to Mexico and them support us. There's laws in Mexico that say you have to be a contributing member of society and not a drain on the economy. But for us to say that it's draconian and racist and anti-immigrant, yeah. it's crazy. We're bankrupting ourselves. Certainly. Tracy, thank you. Have a good afternoon. We appreciate it. Yes, Kenny. No, I'm just going to say, certainly not all are going to say that's draconian, but there's certainly enough on the left who would moan and groan at, at that kind of treatment and just say, oh, we just can't do that, right? We've heard that so many times. Uh, Southern California now seems to be the point where the cartels are moving the majority of the illegal aliens across the border. Mm -hmm. San Diego County Supervisor Jim Desmond tweeted out yesterday afternoon, 1,300 illegal immigrants were dropped off on the streets of San Diego just this weekend, just left on the streets. Right. Remember, we told you last week the shelter that had been set up to take them in and then help them get to the airport and get on their way to the rest of the United States had to shut down because it ran out of money. Yeah. So it is now closed. And so this is why I suggested earlier in the program today, former President Trump ought to be at this location in Southern California and saying, good job, Governor Abbott. You put your finger in the dike to a certain extent there in Texas. If I become president again, I'm going to close the whole doggone thing. And we're going to get rid of this stuff where you, you siphon it off here and they come in here. And it, no, no, I'm going to shut down the whole thing, period. 512-836-0590. It's 412. Join the conversation. It's Mark and Kenny today with you on KLBJ. And now back to the Mark and Melinda show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. Tigers here producing. Thank you for joining us. We go to Gary in Georgetown. Good afternoon, Gary. How are you? Good afternoon. I've, I'm glad you took my call. I, I really like to get your all's opinion about this thought that uh, it really doesn't make any difference if we do the so-called Gritconian idea that uh, for the Chinese that are coming across the border at California, if we don't finance them, I think China will. And if they're coming across from Mexico, I think the cartel will finance them, even if we don't. They've got too much sex trafficking going on. What is your thoughts about that? I think we need to do everything we possibly can to stop them from getting into the country in the first place. They need to be turned around immediately and sent back to Mexico and told you, you wait your turn don't even try to think about crossing the border. We are full until further notice under all circumstances, unless it's an absolute medical emergency. It's got to be it's got to be an all of the above strategy. I agree with that. And to, to your point, caller, yeah, those countries will probably try to, uh, you know, do what they can to keep it going one way or another. But if we take a more strident approach on the border every day, and way beyond what we've been doing so far, that would surely help. Yeah, if we re-implement what Trump had in line, that would that would be the most effective thing. But just to not give them any aid, probably not going to affect things that much. No, I, I understand the thinking behind that, behind that, and there is some merit in that, but we've got to stop them before they get in in the first place. Once they're in the country, they could resort to crime, or other measures just to remain here. And tracking them down will be almost impossible. When you look at 
7 million to 8 million that Biden already has allowed to come in, that's an astronomical number. It is. Yeah, I don't think we comprehend what that is for most people. But uh, anyway, thanks for taking my call. All right, Gary, you have a good day, sir. 512-836-0590. Thehill.com says that when President Biden goes to Brownsville on Thursday, he's going to meet with Border Patrol agents and commend them and applaud them. And he's also going to excoriate Republicans while he's there. He's going to give Republican members of Congress a tongue lashing over their reluctance not to move forward to provide the money, the support, and the changes in the law needed to secure the border. The hypocrisy is just going to be on full display down there to think that he would be, as you said, Mark, given the Republicans a tongue lashing and certainly compliment the border agents. I'm all for that. Goodness knows all the work that they've been doing over these last few years or more. But to think that, again, will our country get amnesia and and ignore what's been going, the reality of what's been going on for these last few years on his watch? He can only hope that's going to be the case. And I suppose his handlers are thinking, just keep going out there and say it, Mr. President. Some of them who've not been paying attention, maybe they'll believe you. But goodness knows in our audience and so many others, they're not going to be buying it one bit. The Border Patrol agents will not forget that Biden accused the horse-mounted Border Patrol of whipping Haitian migrants. Yeah. That did not happen. Absolutely. I don't think he's ever apologized for that, has he? No. And and, and I don't think his meeting with those Border Patrol agents will be open to the media. Right. Because the White House doesn't want to risk it. Right. Likewise, is he going to step forward and apologize to the young nurse who died at the University of Georgia, apologize to her parents and her family and friends for what he's what he's not done over the last few years? Of course not. No. Not going to own any of that. No way. You saw a written statement that the White House put out about the murder of the Georgia student? I did. This is from Fox News about an hour ago. The White House shared a written statement and, among other things, said we'd like to extend our deepest condolences to the family and loved ones and said that uh, people should be held accountable. Talk about hypocrisy. Think of that. You mean like you, Mr. President? like uh, Secretary Mayorkas, just let's just go right down the line of the names of people in your administration, sir, including yourself. And oh yeah, the vice president is supposed to be in charge of all this. Where's the accountability there for all this stuff? 512-836-0590. In presidential campaign news, Nikki Haley's in Michigan now campaigning. Former President Trump is in Michigan getting ready for that state's primary. Uh, Haley got a Almost 40% of the vote Saturday in South Carolina. Trump Mm -hmm. right at 60%. And they're continuing on. But one source of money for Nikki Haley is being cut off. The Koch brothers and their political action committee say they're finished. They're not giving Nikki Haley another penny. They can see uh, the handwriting is on the wall. So they're going to stop giving to Haley. But that's the only major donor so far today, Kenny who's announced they're not giving her any more money. That's right, Mark. So $32 million down the drain for them. And you got to know, it's surely giving some of her other big millionaire backers some pause, a billionaire backers for that matter, saying, you know, how much more money do we throw down the drain here? Uh, hoping against hope that there's going to be some kind of breakthrough, some kind of something where she's going to have a moment that says there's a glimmer of hope 
for her to uh, to make a difference in this race. There's been zero evidence of that up to this point. They're counting on a criminal conviction, putting a real dent in Trump's support, or the Supreme Court saying states can remove him from the ballot, uh, which I think is a real long shot. But those are the two things they're pinning their hopes on, and I think they're very willing to keep pouring money into Nikki Haley's campaign. Maybe so, Mark. With uh, with that kind of money, you know, uh, these millions of dollars is like pennies to the rest of us. And and I heard some speculation over the weekend about her race and, and her aspirations, and they're saying maybe she just wants to try to lay claim to all of those non-Trump voters, hoping that she'll be the one in 2028 to have another chance and, and she can maybe get a head start that way. And some of these big money guys are saying, yeah, yeah, we're in with you on that, Nikki. The never-Trumpers? I guess, yeah. And uh, don't forget, there are Democrats as well giving her money. 1,600 That's- of them who donated to Biden in 2020 gave her money in January. That's true. And and maybe some of them, again, hoping against hope that the no labels crowd will come around to her and, and think that she's going to be a part of that ticket if they get something going. No labels National Director Joe Cunningham was asked about Nikki Haley yesterday. This was his answer. We're looking for great quality people, folks that have broad appeal to independents, Democrats, Republicans. And um, and yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley somebody we, we'd definitely be interested in be making a decision before Super Tuesday. We've said from the onset that after Super Tuesday, we're going to look at who the presumptive nominees are, and if the vast majority of Americans are unhappy with those, and we feel like we can put forward a ticket or offer our ballot line to to candidates who can win, then we're going to offer that ballot line. That's the head of the so-called no labels, Joe Cunningham, yesterday on Fox. Now, at the end of that interview, he said, you know, our focus is on securing ballot access. I think you made the point earlier in the program, Mark, they're on 16 states so far and a real uphill climb to think that they're going to be able to move the needle and and really gain enough traction with a short amount of time remaining to mm-hmm. make anything happen here. Yeah, if they haven't picked somebody by now, they're they're done. It would have to be a, such a superstar, yes. right? It would have they'd have to have such incredible name recognition and a following already. It'd just be, uh, you know, kind of a lightning in a bottle sort of thing. That's who they'd have to hope for. 512-836-0590. You might remember last week we told you State Attorney General Paxton is suing the Denton Public School District. He says they're breaking Texas law by coaching staff members in the public school district on how to vote in the upcoming Republican primary, Uh, that they have been coaching them to vote for the Republican primary candidates who oppose parental choice in the schools. That's what their allegation is. And now Texas Scorecard today has a follow-up report. It says that the website of the Denton Public School District has been encouraging and applauding members of the Texas legislature for opposing parental choice for students. It says part of the uh, website right there on the homepage applauded Texas House of Representatives member Reggie Smith. They call him our own Grayson County representative, standing firm in support of public schools and against parental choice. And they encouraged every member of the school district to stay informed on Governor Greg Abbott's plan to use public school funds to support private educational institutions. That is just so wrong. You know, it's one thing to encourage uh, interest in and and participation in the the political process in that but you got to draw the line there if you're a school district you cannot advocate 
for any particular person or anything of the kind. You just can't do it. It's Not when to, you're using taxpayer resources. Exactly. You know, you can encourage parents to get involved at all levels, but that's where it's got to stop. Yeah, the Texas Election Code prohibits public employees from using public resources to electioneer for or against a candidate or any measure on the ballot. What, and what's the remedy here, Mark? Does it take some of the local parents and that to to try to uh, take legal action back against uh, the board to stop? Because it's almost like Biden and the and the student loans, right? Supreme Court <laughs> yes. says you can't do yeah. it. Oh, I'm going to keep doing it anyway. It's kind of what we're seeing in a lot of these school districts these days. I get the impression that the state attorney general is seeking a court order mm. against this school district and others, okay. ordering them, stop it, whatever it takes. You're, you're in charge of these people. These are your resources. Stop it immediately. Well, a lot of people may not agree with things that Paxton does these days, but that's, he's certainly in the right on that one. Goodness. 512-836-0590 to join us. 427 now. News headlines are coming up next right here on KLBJ. And now, back to The Mark and Melinda Show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. Tigers here producing. Melinda will be back on Wednesday. Kenny Romeyer is here. The Dallas Morning News says Texas is spending $200 million building new prisons for violent juvenile offenders. However, officials are concerned they may not be able to hire enough staff to work in these facilities. Uh, the Texas Juvenile Justice Department says they're working hard to slow the revolving door of officers in these kinds of facilities. One third of them quit within the first three months after being hired. And so that's their, their biggest challenge right now, Kenny, is keeping people on the job. For more than three months. Yeah, they're paying around $44,000 to $46,000, $47,000 for these correctional officers. And to your point, those that are quitting, a third of them, and, and they say the recruits find the circumstances are too challenging relative to the pay offered or just too challenging, period. Now, we can only imagine what these correctional officers are putting up with on a daily basis in these places, right? We're, we're building more facilities because we probably need the space and sadly that means that we've got a lot more juveniles that we're putting behind bars but just imagine the kind of uh, conditions and the kind of people they're dealing with inside those walls the mclennan county facility near waco has 181 violent juveniles they're operating at 60 percent of the needed staffing for correctional officers and 38 percent of clinical staff so i mean look at that so if, in addition to those who are being hired and coming in, and then they find out, oh, wait a minute, I got to work 24-7 because we only have about half as many people on duty as we need to have. You, nobody told me that part. I mean, and, and 38% of clinical staff. I mean, how do you, your average correctional officer can't shoot the gap on that. This, this article does not address the question, uh, what happens to these violent juveniles if they cannot be sent to these facilities, mm. these correctional facilities? Right. Where do they go? What happens to them? Are they just clogging up our county jails then still? If, if they got to keep them someplace, presumably. They can't let them go, right? Well, I, I'm sure they separate them from adult offenders in county jails. Right. It says one of these new state facilities will be designed to house 100 juveniles 
who were the most violent, the worst of the worst, and another 70 kids with high-level mental health needs, according to state officials. The department says we're highly confident that we will be adequately staffed in part because we're located near larger labor pools, Hmm. near the Waco market of workers. Larger labor pools. Well, I don't know. If if you're a mental health professional, for example, and you have a chance to maybe, I mean, goodness knows, schools need mental health professionals all the time, right? Or other facilities and other industries. You're going to try to go take a job there. Or you're going to say, no, we're going to put you in with the, the, the most violent of the violent. Good luck. The Dallas Morning News says Texas should tap the brakes on building these new prisons for juvenile offenders until it's sure it has the ability to hire the qualified workers to run them safely. So again, what do we do with these very violent under-17 criminals if we're not going to put them in these new facilities? Yeah, and I get it. I understand the rationale. You don't want to build brick and mortar and then have them have those uh, expensive facilities sit empty because you can't staff them. But then it's just, it seems like you're just, you're just crimping the hose and you're just clogging up whatever other facilities are, are there to try to accommodate them somehow, some way. Also in the news today, there's a new report from the University of Michigan. Experts have been reviewing 92% of the prescriptions written in the United States for minors 12 to 17 years old over the last five years, and they are highly alarmed at the rapid increase in prescriptions for antidepressants, particularly for girls 12 to 17 years old. Mm -hmm. It is skyrocketing, according to the data reviewed by the University of Michigan Children's Hospital. Dr. Cal Chu is a pediatrician who was part of this team and says we found a shocking increase in the number of prescriptions being written for antidepressants for America's 12 to 17-year-old girls. Yeah, just anecdotal conversations I've had with some medical professionals talk about, yeah, they have clearly seen more young people coming in with psychiatric disorders, depression, anxiety disorders, especially girls uh, affected with the hormonal disruptions. It's a lot of that. You know, you want to try to tie it back to the COVID time period and and whatever's associated with that, you know, saying it's the vaccines or whatever, that's maybe a rat hole. But I'm it, not I'm not persuaded, Kenny, or convinced that's why we're seeing this huge spike in antidepressant use among teenage girls. That well I think it's something uh along the lines of the effects of social media, the cancer that it's spreading throughout I, our society. I can't disagree with that. I, I guess the conversations just relate back to they saw certainly upticks during the COVID days. Now, if that's because a lot of the young young girls were on social media so much more time than what they would have been otherwise, Mark, that, that kind of plays into your theory there. Kenny and I would like to get your thoughts on this. Perhaps you have an explanation or a theory as to why America more and more is dispensing antidepressants to our young girls, our teenage girls. That's the focus of this study, 12 to 17 years old. So they're moving into middle school, they're moving into high school, or they're in high school, and this says we have had enormous increases on a percentage basis 
in prescriptions for antidepressants for our teenage girls in America. 512-836-0590. This article says, in terms of the boys 12 to 17, they did not see a major spike. It has remained relatively stable over these last five years, Kenny. And, you know, I think there's something to your theory, Mark, about the social media. I've talked to some people that work in some of the nonprofits around town that help young girls and that. And sadly, I mean, this is talking about the girls that get medicine and they're trying to help. The suicide rate amongst young girls is so high these days. It's very sad. Let's go to Larry in Maynard at 438 with Mark and Kenny on KLBJ. Welcome, Larry. How are you, sir? Well, I'm just fine. Uh, outside of the dirty water in Maynard, I'm doing okay. You know, the the problem is tied to, in my opinion, the horrendous abundance of pharmaceutical advertising and media all over the place. Take a pill, America. we got something to bring you up. We've got something to bring you down. And we've created patients or pharmaceutical customers that are going to their doctors and telling them what they want prescribed. That could be a part of it, Larry. You, you may be on to a, a factor here, yes. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. Thank you. All right, Larry, thank you. You have a good day. Maybe are, so. are there ads for antidepressants for minors or, I, or teens? I got to say, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, the Ozempics and some of the others that I've, I don't pay a lot of attention to, frankly. I don't know that they're directed toward teens. I guess the thought I had is I wonder if a lot of these young people, of course, this would be girls and boys, but getting started on the ADHD kinds of meds. And that's that's the beginning of, well, take pills for that. Here's pills for something else, you know. Let's go to Daniel at 440 on KLBJ. Daniel, I understand that you are a psychiatrist. Is that right, sir? Yeah, that's right. And uh, really just calling in to say and confirm y'all are thinking about it the right way. Um, I, I treat adults myself, um, but uh, this is just very obvious common knowledge among people in my field. Um, you know, it's all of that. We are, a lot of people don't realize the U.S. is one of the few countries there is direct advertising. So as doctors, we have patients coming in and it feels like they're ordering off a menu, you know, expecting that they are going to receive certain things and the commercials promise them all these things. So that's part of it. But by far the larger issue is just the ideology of Americans that there's a fix for everything. So, you know, rather than the accountability being placed on the individual, or in this case, largely with the parents, um, you know, it's, it's offloaded. So the parents are more interested in offloading that where the doctor has to then, you know, handle that or the therapist needs to figure out this thing that, you know, is called a diagnosis or mental illness when, in fact, you know, it's life. And there's the pressures they feel of school, the activities, the grades, the teasing, the social media that you're talking about. Yes. You know, there's a lot of life to deal with, and those are hard conversations. Mm. So these... your, your, your professional advice to parents would be start with those hard conversations, though. It's incumbent upon you as the parent to delve into those tough matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and don't offload that. You know, and that, that can be with or without therapy. Um, you know, so that, that doesn't need to preclude that. But those conversations need to be had at home, and you need to own the life of your child, you know, and help them through those. And 
and part of that's normalizing it. You know, so the child learns that that's just part of life that happens, and you know, let's figure out what to do about that, but not then treat it as if you've got this disorder. And now it's out of my hands. I don't know what to do. Go just see the doctor. Tell the doctor. I don't know what to do. And doctor, are these advertisements on TikTok and places where I'm not, but a lot of young ladies are? Is that where they're seeing a lot of this stuff directed toward them? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's for the antidepressants. Um, TikTok is hitting people more for ADHD right now. Hmm. Um, And so it's the same issue as we're talking about, just a different diagnosis or, um, you know, slant to it but yeah you know a girl sees you know their influencer talk about adhd and now that's see the thing is people have an easier time talking about that than they do what's going on you know underneath it so oh this is just my adhd that's why i can't pay attention you know let's not deal with the fact that i can't pay attention because you know i'm depressed or anxious because of real things going on in my life mm. Doctor, are there negative consequences, perhaps, for a 12- or 13-year-old girl who's placed on a prescription for antidepressants? That's what's so terrible. You know, you're getting hit from both directions. you got, on one end, influencers making it look like you got to have everything put together. You see, you have to look beautiful, you have to be smart, you have to be very involved, you have to be very sociable, you have to be very emotionally well. You know, so there's just nobody that can pull that off. And then on the other hand, you got, you know, that the, the medical community putting so many dollars through pharmacies for the pharmaceuticals that make you feel like you've got to get treatment. You know, if anything's wrong, then you've got a disorder and you've got to get proactively treated. And so there's no space for just the normal stuff, just that life, life is tricky and that's, you know, just use normal language that there's stuff you can do. So, yeah, I mean, whether it's from the medical end or the social media influencer and um, you know people are just made to feel like they're they're not doing life right and how much do you run into this where the parents are maybe taking some kind of medications and that influences you know saying well maybe here have one of these it's helping me or because they've been on pills for such a long time they're more inclined to, to get the kids going on that path too yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, it sounds nice to destigmatize and let your kid know, hey, you know, I'm also in treatment. I've got an antidepressant I take as well. So it, it sounds nice to be open about that. But the conversation, that, that should just be the first half of the conversation. Then the next part being, you know, about life being hard and figuring things out, not just offloading it. So that that's the problem is it's just the stigma is not... Um, this is, you know, to deal with that is not the solution. It's just, that's only the beginning. Doctor, thank you so much for checking in. We really appreciate that insight. Have a good day, sir. You bet. Appreciate y'all. Thank, Th- thank you. Take care. 512-836-0590. We'll work in more of your comments, your calls, and your texts coming up just ahead. It's 445 with Mark and Kenny. And now back to the Mark and Melinda Show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. If you're just joining us, we're discussing a new report today from the University of Michigan where researchers have analyzed data from a national database containing 92% of all prescriptions dispensed in American pharmacies. And they said they found an alarming increase in antidepressant use among 12 to 17-year-old girls in the United States. This is between 2016 and 2022. The rate uh, went up 130 percent. 
according to these University of Michigan researchers. We're talking with you about uh, what are the possible causes, why is this happening, what are the implications of all of this. Janice is weighing in at 449. Hi, Janice. W- welcome. How are you? I am awesome. This is a great day. Yes, it is. It's beautiful. What are your thoughts on this new report on the antidepressants? Well, other than social media, social media, if, if you look at it, how different ways it can tap into a young person's life, they're not getting enough sleep because they're, the, so they're on their phones. They can't get off the phones because they gotta, they got to respond to everything and then they get baited and stuff. And then on top of that, they're inside instead of outside. They're not getting that natural vitamin D. They're not connecting with real people. They're connecting with an inanimate, inanimate thing. Mm-hmm. Those, no, those uh, are all. Make me depressed. <laughs> yeah, those are those are all important points. Uh, we all need exercise, fresh air, sunshine. We need to have a good diet. We need quality friendship. Uh, we need all of those and more. And turn off the computer screens well before bedtime, which I know how tough that is for everybody. Yeah, I mean, even people, you know, that you know, it goes back into the quality of sleep. If you got a TV in your bedroom, you're not getting good quality sleep. You're not, you're grumpy the next day. <laughs> no question about that, Janice. Are you alarmed uh, when you hear this rapid rise in antidepressants being dispensed to our girls? Yeah, because it seems to me that everyone's looking for a chemical, a chemical or a fake fix rather than go. If you go back to the, you know, how things were when I was a kid. I was born in '65. I was outside unless the streetlights were on. Yes. You know, it's just um, so. And I was, I was when I, I was too tired from playing to be, to worry about stuff that wasn't real. You know, I didn't have time to be concerned about fake fake stuff or who thought what of me because I hung out with people who cared. You know, I had real friends. I had, um, you know, I just, I, I had a good life. I was busy. Yeah, and that allowed your mind to shut down at night so you could get proper sleep and you wake up refreshed and ready to go the next morning. Yeah, I, I wonder what it would be like if they, if they they was able to b- build a city that just took away all the technology, you know, that you didn't need. You know, cell phones and, and computers, unless it was for, you know, work or, you know, research. Well, I, I think we're well past that point now, Janice. It would be an interesting uh, experiment, wouldn't it, Kenny? Yeah, what if you could get any takers to live there, right? I That's don't know right. If- Here's a text real quickly, Mark. Perhaps young women are growing depressed seeing the lines between men and women being erased. Well, that could be a part of it, too. There's plenty of that. It's, uh, that's a heavy point of emphasis now in so many of the public schools. A lot of time is spent on focusing on gender identity, sexual orientation. Right, at such young Sexualizing ages. the kids. Yeah. There's so much pressure to sexualize them. Yeah. Uh, Kelly is calling from New Braunfels, 453 on KLBJ. Hello, Kelly. I, you know, I had a, a, a wonderful grad student and went off to get a wonderful job, and I won't say much about it because I don't want to identify her this last year. And... I couldn't believe that she had this medical diagnosis of, as, of OCD because 
her behavior was anything other than that. But as we talked more about it and I met more of her friends, everybody, they all had some diagnosis. And I thought to myself, it isn't just that they have these diagnoses. They sort of wear them as a badge of pride. Mm. Oh, I'm this and well, I'm that. And I don't know, because that's a very uh, small group. It's just they're all either had graduated and they're all doing well in their, um, they all graduated with masters in something and doing well. And it's kind of like, okay, maybe it's just this little chunk. But I think more and more of it, if you take a, a youngster in where our parents would just say, you know, get over it or go do this or say some prayers or, or go to bed and get some rest. But once you get a label as something and it's really hard. You really believe that 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 is what you have and you're kind of with it for life and you're on medication, you're afraid to come off. So anyway, that was just, it's a small sample. But if everybody wasn't doing so well, I would like think you couldn't have this many diagnoses and everybody doing well because I have been around people with mental health problems and they have real mental health problems and they don't do well in life even if they're on medication so yes. usually kelly thank you have a great afternoon we appreciate it we'll work in more of your comments coming up after the news calls and texts at 512-836-0590 it's mark and kenny with you on klbj Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com.